0: mission-led approach is a really cool way (laughs) to bring people together so people want to have a reason to come together i think if we talk about impact and kind of purpose if it's not um, if it's not articulated enough if it doesn't feel tangible it becomes too big to the point that people feel quite kind of um, numb to it
1: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 352. Today is Sunday, the 8th of December, 2019. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. I want to thank you for choosing to take the time out of your super busy day for the listen. I also want to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a review of this show to Tommy WC. Thank you, Tommy. So, this week's interview is with Ella Goldner. Ella's co-founder and general manager of Sync VC, which exists to build and scale a brand new way to solve the most important societal problems faced by the developed world. In this conversation with Ella, we discuss Sync's overall mission and business model, a deeper dive into the three first missions that Zinc launched, how to make societal impact work, and how Ella leads this highly entrepreneurial and meaningful venture. Ella Goldner, great to have you on the show. Uh, you and I were introduced by our wonderful Ollie Barrett, yet another Ollie Barrett connection for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, you are, you've started this project called Zinc. Uh, I've been associated or seen two of them, two of the three missions. They're wonderfully interesting. But in your own words, how do you describe you and uh, what you're up to, Ella?
0: Um, so how I describe myself, I guess, um, I'm a problem solver. I love solving problems, um, anything from like a queue in a clock room, which I once stepped in to fix because it was really annoying, all the way to kind of what we're working at zinc, which is solving things like women and girls' mental health or the quality of later life. So I love doing that um, at any scale. all
1: right, so let's let's dig in on zinc because this is this is clearly where I, I, what I was interested in. And you're now three missions into it. Tell us, really, what is the mission of Zinc?
0: So when we started Zinc about three years ago, um, our mission or our vision was to create um, a scalable and innovative way to address the big societal issues in our world and do it a bit differently. Um, So thinking about the way to solve it by mobilizing the best talent, um, by thinking about scale of impact, And by kind of applying innovative approach using social sciences, using um, academics and researchers to build things that we know will be working and engaging and eventually impacting people's lives. And we think um, and then that's kind of our vision and our mission. And then when we take when we talk about our own kind of missions and programs, we look at things that can um, actually impact at least 100 million people in the world. At a time, and we're looking for where we see unmet needs and where in, where there is need for innovation, um, specifically in the developed
1: world. And what got you into this, Ella? Because it's you know it's presumably mission based from the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I had um, kind of my my career to that date was kind of a search for um, a place to be able to solve problems in a in a meaningful way. Um, I've always been attracted to that. I've done different things like engineering and marketing and strategy. I've started um, an innovation platform. And I think um, as corny as it may sound, I had this moment of clarity when I came back from a maternity leave to do a job, which I previously felt passionate about, but thought that was um, not enough. The opportunity cost of being with my small twins um, for um, the work that I was doing was not Enough for me, and so I had to create something that was impactful enough and big enough that would make it um, kind of worth the the sacrifice that I was wanting to make. But um,
1: makes sense in my observation, and probably linked to mission number one. I see a lot of people who think that they're passionate about a job, mostly because it gives a paycheck and they have a roof over the head, and that's a wonderful thing. But there's so many people who actually have side hustles or something on the side that, that really stimulates them, that provides that meaningfulness. And, and my observation has been that it takes a life-changing event, like having a birth or being near to death, to actually figure out that this other thing wasn't passionate enough for, for, in a real way.
0: I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's kind of where Zinc um, tries to play a role. So we're trying to tap into that itch that people have. So we believe people... Um, get to a point in life where they have this kind of need to do more, to use, you know, their experience, their skills, their talent um, into doing something that is of impact in terms of social impact. And I think that it may, in many cases, people just don't know what to do and how to start. So they have that itch. And then unless something big happens and, and they, it comes from within, um, they're, they're struggling to find a way to then do that. And I think what we're trying to do now with Zinc and our vision going forward when we talk about mobilizing talent is helping them find a place where they can navigate through that and find their own calling. So it could be that they can still keep their day job, but just do it in a different way that has more impact in mental health. It could be that they are working in a charity and they can, which is by definition very impactful, but actually scale their impact um, So do that in a different way that will um, reach more people. Um, it may be that they are academics who are doing research and they feel they need um, to then take that and make it a reality rather than writing another paper. So we want to be the destination for them. So or maybe an entrepreneur who's just kind of, um, you know, exited a company and they're thinking what next and they don't know this kind of they feel it's a new ecosystem. I don't know where to start. So we want to be that destination. So it doesn't really matter who you are as long as you're talented and, and, and you have this itch to make impact. We want to be the place you come to and we'll help you. Create that um, internal energy and, and or maybe more like channel it um, because we believe you already have it and just make you help you find a way to, to channel that.
1: Nice. So since you started, Ella, uh, I'm wondering, as you etched out this vision that you had, there's a very first, you know, let's say birth of the zinc idea. Um, How has that vision changed now that you've done three missions? Has there been change at all? You know, what have you learned in Mm -hmm. this process?
0: Um, It's a good question because we're actually at the point of kind of re-articulating that vision and taking it to the next level. So we're in this kind of um, maturing Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the organization. I think the vision hasn't changed, which is a good thing. So our North Star hasn't changed. and We've written a manifesto when we just started. So my two co-founders are Paul Kirby and Saul Klein. And we've written this kind of very long manifesto um, saying where we want to get to. And that hasn't changed. I think what has changed is uh, more articulation around the way to do that, building on our learnings. So we've learned loads. <laughs> We're still learning. I hope. Give us a few of them. Oh, gosh. Um, so... I guess what we've learned in terms of what works is that um, mission-led approach is a really cool way <laughs> to bring people together. So people want to have uh, a reason to come together. I think if we talk about impact and kind of purpose, if it's not um, if it's not articulated enough, if it doesn't feel tangible, it becomes too big to the point that people feel quite kind of um, numb to it. So if you talk about you know big broad, big global problems it's not a story that people can emotionally connect with yeah it just
1: feels like you know, hot air
0: exactly or it's like oh who am i to actually solve that too mm-hmm. big let let someone else yeah 100
1: million people is quite a big type of problem to want to solve <laughs>
0: yeah but but if you talk about the mental health of women and girls then anyone can relate to that cuz either they've suffered or they know someone who has or they're concerned about someone in their family who might be um, kind of exposed to that. So I think is this kind of making it emotional um, enough for people to relate to. So that's kind of the one thing. So I think we've, we've found that missions are a really great way to mobilize and bring people together. Um, what we've also learned, I think we've underestimated when we started, is so two things. One is the, um, the personal journey that people have to go through. So going back to your question, the life trigger. And because sometimes people come to us and they haven't really experienced that kind of um, necessarily life event, but they've decided to go to get through this kind of process. Um, I think um, people are underestimating the personal journey that people need to go through together with building the product and the business. So so we're, we're, what we do is we help people come together, meet their co-founders, decide what problem they want to work on and build a scalable kind of venture, so commercial venture. And so I think a lot of the early stage accelerators, incubators, investors put a lot of emphasis on the product. Or the operations but not so much on the founder and we've actually realized that there's so much value in helping people build their own kind of resilience and ability to grow with the company with their vision so um, from mission one to mission two one of the biggest changes we've made is we launched this coaching program program so not do we only do we have mentors or we call them fellows who are experts in their fields whether it's mental health or ventures or investment or ux but we also have people who specialize in unlocking human potential so Mm -hmm. they will be working with you as a founder they wouldn't they couldn't care less about the business but they just want to understand what do you need to do in order to be the best founder that you can be
1: so can i just dig in on that a second because i'm trying to figure out you i I come to you i'm an entrepreneur i've got an idea what am i missing because I already got the idea, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm passionate about it, I really want to solve this mental health problem for my daughter or something like this, so I have some, some connection. Give me Try to put some material around the type of change that I need to undertake and how the coach can help me.
0: Okay, so when you come to Zinc, um, I think you may or may not have an idea, so we don't, we don't expect you to have an idea, but even an idea, we say all ideas are worthless because until you've actually went on and did something with it. It's, it's, it's just in your head or in people's heads. So the coaching element specifically will help you figure out what are your core skills, uh, what are your non-negotiables. So when you think about teaming up with another co-founder, what are the things that are going to be important for you um, when you kind of discuss the opportunity of joining forces? What, are, what is your vision for this company? Where do you want it to be based? How big do you want it to be? Um, And what are the values that you wanted to have? And Mm. so we'll help you figure that out. Um, Also, different people have different kind of, you know, baggage or things that are holding them back. So helping you figure out what could be stopping you. How would you stop yourself from achieving that and and mitigating that? So what have stopped you in the past from achieving what you wanted? And make sure that's not the case this time. Um, Building that confidence and resilience, I think, um, especially for first-time entrepreneurs. Um, there is this whole kind of imposter syndrome. And so helping you kind of overcome that and feel confident where you are. So that's kind of the coaching element. And then more broadly speaking, what Zinc does, it also, it will challenge you. Is this the best idea? Is this the best thing you can do with your life and your skills? Is this the biggest problem you can work on? will help you find same-minded people who might be complimenting you in terms of their skills, their life experiences, their views, so you make a good team together. Um will help you with understanding really thoroughly the problem you're trying to work on and what are what has proven to work already in terms of interventions or solutions. So you can use some of the research and theory and embed it into your product. Um we'll surround you with really passionate experts who want to support you. And then later on in terms we pay stipend, we provide a workspace and also you you become part of a court, which I think is the other bit that is really important. So not only the coaching from outside, but there's a lot of peer-to-peer support and coaching. And I think being on that journey, which you know, you've done that before, it's it's really, really hard, I think, having other people who are, you know, as passionate as you are, as scared as you are going through that. And really, sharing. Yeah, and sharing those kind of experiences, but also best practices. And
1: I was just listening to a, a female author, Laura, someone, the book's called Fair Play. And she talks about the the need to really understand each other's values mm-hmm. and and so this is mostly related to the idea of marriage mm-hmm. uh, and and you come into this contract together and you think you're on the same page you know i but we both like family okay great but what does that look like and what baggage of your vision of family
2: mm-hmm.
1: are you bringing mm-hmm. to the story and it's these type of conversations we're scared to have, or. We don't know how to have because sometimes it means revealing that there's some skeletons in my closet, that I have some issues, and, and to then reveal that seems like a weakness. So is this the kind of thing that you're trying to uncover as you go into this?
0: Yeah, definitely. So we have, um, we have what we call this um, weekly um, sharing. So uh, if you work in a team, we actually signpost an hour in the week. Where you're meant to be having those difficult conversations, um, we have a bit of guidance in terms of the tough questions you might want to ask and a way to offer that feedback and I think um, I think it's I think finding a co-founder um, is there are some similarities in terms of marriage and some others. so for example, you don't actually need to be friends, I think, to be co-founders. I think it's great if you can relate to that and be, but actually you don't have to and Um, But you do need to share values. You do need to know what's important. You you do need to be able to share feedback. And so we create these kind of opportunities for people to be really honest um, and say what's on their mind, and also make it non personal if people decide to break up. So it's not like a divorce. And I just don't like you anymore. Um, It's just that I really maybe like you, but I don't think we're a good um, team to work together, or I may be not sharing the same vision like you are. So allowing for that kind of breakups to happen in a very normal way and normalizing the idea of breaking up well at some level
1: i think we could reintroduce that even into couples yeah also also. but it it, what i wanted to go with this was also think about the parallels of bigger business Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and how in big business they could possibly learn from the type of things that you've been learning in Ms. zinc
0: that That's something that is, um, I think, really, really interesting because there is this kind of, um, I think, um, kind of sometimes it feels there is a tension between the big businesses and the startups because I think there is a fear, mutual fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you a mutual need. Exactly. So it's kind of this, um, you're kind of curious, you want to see what's happening, you want to engage, but you're also fearing and you feel threatened. So I think... Um, I think that level of ambition and not seeing um, anything in your way, the kind of entrepreneurial mindset is really, I think, inspiring for business people who, you know, after years working potentially in a corporate environment, you learn how to navigate that and you lose that kind of ability to see beyond what you do now and the way things work now. Um, And I think also those honest conversations are, in most cases, are not very welcomed in large organizations. There's... There is a way of doing things um, so I think that kind of um, it feels quite free in a way I think um, so you can learn from that and and also just the the sheer kind of hustleness whereas you know you just get out and you do something and you learn and then you come back and, and think okay what does it mean for my kind of next sprint so I think there is this kind of symbiotic relationship in that sense and also for the startups to be honest I think the idea of you operating as a pirate in the world is really nice when you start but when you start maturing you have to kind of Go okay. If I keep going on my own, I'll stay on my own. Yeah, that, that, big, that
1: big tattoo I put on my face of a pirate—not
0: <clears throat> yeah. quite as useful
1: when I'm hitting the exactly. VCs or something.
0: Exactly. How do you take it off now? Yeah. Uh, drunk night. Um, so, so I think there is also, and also the reach. Like, let's be honest, corporates and and big brands have such a huge way of and reach in terms of impacting people's behaviors. They have the voice of the customer. They have the wallet of the customer. Um, so I think startups are interested in kind of pr- collaborating and, and being able to, you know, bring their vision to life through those channels. On the other hand, I think they are fearing the idea of being taken over and then losing their sense of identity. and I, And I spoke to a few, it's interesting, a few entrepreneurs who sold their companies. And the next morning they were like, hmm, I've worked all my life to be independent and free and now I'm in this kind of red tape environment and I need to approve everything. And it's like, is this what I was aspiring for? So the I earn out. Yeah, exactly. So it's quite an interesting, I think, also kind of thing to think about when what kind of exit do you want to have for yourself if you do think about it this way? What does it mean? Um, and what's the future of your business going to look like if that actually happens?
1: So you've done three missions, Ella, mm-hmm. with your co-founders, uh, you got mental health, globalization, and automation, and later life. Uh, later life, of course, very much uh, one I was attracted to. How do you come up with your mission? I mean, what's next, and how do you decide?
0: Um, so I can I can make it up and say we have this really uh, <laughs> very thorough kind of panel of experts and years of um, research. But the honest truth is that what we look at are things that are. As I said, on one hand, we see there are unmet needs, um, but real big unmet needs that represent a big commercial opportunity as well as, we, as well as a, a, an opportunity to make a big impact. Um, we're looking our the zinc kind of view of things is where we can where behavior change is is kind of um, of importance. So, um, for example, we don't do we don't look at things around kind of medicine. Um, or deep kind of life sciences, this is not our expertise, but we'd look at therapeutic side of things, things that are related to behavioral change that could affect um, health conditions. It's more like OTC. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The soft side of it. Um, So, and then we're looking at things also that there's already some kind of awareness, but maybe just at the beginning of that. So when we started with the mental health kind of program mission, people were kind of not really sure that was the best thing. And, you know, it's, is, it, is it are people going to get it? What are they going to think about? Uh, whereas we felt there is a bit, there's kind of, we're, trying, we're starting to see more and more conversations. So this is two and a half years ago. Now it's become mainstream. Um, so people understand the problem. People talk about it much more than they used to two and a half years ago. So I think it's always finding this thing that is on people's mind, but not necessarily from a media perspective has been um, exhausted. So we're trying to kind of, uh, ride that kind of wave to the point that by the time it becomes a topic that everyone is thinking about, we already offer some solutions. Um, so next is going to be um, around the environment, um, obviously. It's because we, we thought it's just we have to do that. And I think we were kind of looking for our way to think about it and, and solve for that and what's the zinc point of view on that. And it will be through kind of behaviors and how we can have our um, kind of Harm uh, in the world as as individuals and as businesses. So looking at that, but really around the changes of things um, that we can do. Um, so that will be next, and I think we're kind of also now committing to doing that over a period of time. So in the next three to four years, we'll be repeating those programs in the context of that mission. But then you know other things will be relevant. So in four years' time, we might be new launching new topics. Exactly.
1: So you talk about behavior change quite a lot there, Ella. And this is something that is desperately relevant in a big corporate environment where we're talking about this thing called transformation aka change. What have you picked up in your in the you know rather many different initiatives that you guys have been fostering about what works hmm. in creating behavior change
0: um, well, probably the You know it's really hard, so that's the key learning. I guess what works um, is thinking about a person as part of a system, so not trying to solve one specific element of the problem. So thinking about the kind of networks, the systems a person is part of. So as an example, again, um, if we talk about um, uh, mental health, if we talk about young girls, Um, They have, so who's impacting their lives? It's their parents, it could be their siblings, it's school, it's their friends, it's media. Um, So if we want to solve a problem, we can't just look at one aspect of it and can't say, okay, it's all about the relationship with the parent because it's actually part of a bigger it's messy or it's... Um, exactly. It is messy. I think that's that's the biggest I think thing to think about. And and so when you think about your solution and when you think about your approach, you need to really think about that in, a, in the context of a really messy um, situation. And there are lots of things that will overlap and kind of counter each other. So you have to really think about that in the context of your solution, which eventually may be targeting the parent or targeting her peers or targeting the school, but taking into account the other kind of systems that um, she or he will be part of. So I think that's the key thing. The second thing, I think one of our hypotheses, which we're um, being able to prove in the last um, missions that programs we ran, was this idea that there is so much knowledge and insights locked in people's minds and in papers. And it's if you give them the opportunity to unleash that through Um, a product, they really want to do that. So I think it's kind of not trying to reinvent everything, but trying to find who already did some research, who proved some parts of the solution, maybe in in an offline way, maybe in a more theoretical way. But working with them on scaling that through through digital products and software or any other kind of scalable solution really excites them. Because I think, you know, the reason why people become, I think I would imagine, social scientists is, they, they want to impact, they want to make a difference, and then they end up, you know, being limited by the academic kind of uh, world in terms of what success looks like and how how you actually progress. And I think giving the opportunity to do that is massive. Um, so what we've learned is that when you engage with the experts, especially the researchers in academia, the dividend is huge, and then, and then you end up having something that actually works. And I would say the other, the last thing is... Um, Rachel, our chief scientist, likes to talk about it. But you, you want to have the engagement of, of you know, um, Minecraft or, you know, a video game with the effectiveness of, you know, a real kind of theory of change. And so people think that, okay, now that I've, I know what's the theory of change, I know what's the intervention. I'm just going to put it in a product and people are going to use it. And then you end up having, you know, how many, 400,000 um, mental health apps that no one is ever using. And so... The, there is huge importance not on just making sure that what you do is proven to be effective, but actually, how do you engage people? How do you make it as attractive as playing a video game or as smoking or as gambling? Or how do we use all these techniques that people are using, and I've and you have as well worked in media, so we know we know what works. How do you use those techniques to actually get people um, hooked up and engaged in something that does?
1: Yeah, so there's some good manipulative techniques, even in less, uh, let's say, noble arts like <laughs> smoking or, or other addictions that one has. You, you, there's this notion of this network that you have at Zinc. You have various members or parties to the ecosystem that includes the coaches, the entrepreneurs, of course, and uh, the VCs. Mm-hmm uh there are more but which are the ones that are hardest to gather usually when you're in like a marketplace you know you have to either get more buyers or more sellers which of the these ecosystems is less obvious or you know you can include media partners Mm -hmm. academics where 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 do you feel like you you have the hardest grab
0: um i think it's a really good question i it's I'll say that it's maybe more, it's easier to get individuals rather than organizations. So going back to your questions about corporates, and I would add universities, so all the kind of fear of experimentation and innovation, and, and I worked in corporates where I actually think their business model, their share price is depending on them, not innovating actually, but providing this kind of safe, you know, dividends to their you know, shareholders yeah, and or investors. And keep the inertia. Exactly. So, and, and the same with universities. We went, um, so I went with Paul, my co-founder, to a meeting early, really early in kind of Zinc's life um, into one of the universities. And we came out and I said, oh my God, that was like horrendous. It was so bad and like nothing achieved. And I was like, Ella, this was like phenomenal. This was so good, you know, there was like, no obvious kind of push back and we and we walked in the two of us and there were like 15 people in the room and their tech transfer team and their enterprise team <laughs> and it was like all these people basically telling you how why we can't do all these things and I, and I thought it was really bad he thought it wasn't as bad, but yes. it's just to give you the context of so I think I think dealing with large organizations is something that it has been harder um, and I think I understand why uh, but I think we're making more and more progress and I think there is more appetite to try and I think the more also uh, achievements we have the more proof points we have then I think it's uh, less of a Perceived risk to yeah, them. The
1: rational elements yeah, help you overcome. In, yeah. <laughs> so that's really fascinating. What I'm thinking about is that many companies are now beginning to, to, to get real about ESG or environmental social and governance concepts. And, and as much as we've been talking about doing good for the world or CSR, corporate social responsibility, it seems like we're still quite far away. And if there's an area that's even further away from that, that's usually the finance world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So there's a if there's one place where the concepts of CSR and doing good for the world seems to be furthest removed, it's the finance world where Wall Street, v- private equity, venture capital, which is part of your name, uh, maybe don't don't get it so often. Mm-hmm. How do you go about enticing and, and getting fundraising when when the pushback might be just well, you know, it's just another really nice thing to do, but you know what?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we, we want... So the, the companies that we, we build and the aspiration and the vision we have is that our portfolio companies are as attractive as any other company in terms of their financial return. And they're working on a thing that really matters. So for an investor, I don't want them to be looking at that as, is this my charitable thing? Is this my CSR thing? I want, it, I, I want them to think this is a really, really good team. They're working on a... On a huge issue that has a huge commercial opportunity. Um, They are the right team to do that. And the time is now. So when they think about a zinc portfolio company, they will assess it like any other company. They will probably, what I think they will get is um, a brand or a product that is probably easier to um, hire for. So I think we see that our um, companies are able to attract really good talent because of their kind of social mission. I think you get people are extremely passionate about the problem they're trying to solve. Usually there usually there is some kind of a personal motivation. So the resilience of, of I believe, the founders of a socially driven company is very, very high because they're doing it for a real reason more than just the idea of creating a company, which they also do. Um, so they're kind of obsessed about solving that issue and it's whatever it's going to take and they're going to just take anything that comes their way. Um, so I think that's that's an advantage that an investor who invests in a company like ours will get on top of any other company. So I would like them to look at it this way. And then I think what the good thing about our companies is they're also attractive to some of the grant givers because they are working on things that really matter and where there is sometimes kind of less innovation. So they get access to some of those Foundations and grants that, um, and presumably
1: you guys help them navigate how to get a grant.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do, and we're learning ourselves. As I said, we're a learning organization. It's it's a it's a big kind of um place to navigate, and it's complicated. But um, we have a few successes um in kind of in in um, finding ways to unlock that grant money and deploy it through our portfolio companies, which has been great. So. Um, we've been working with the likes of the Wellcome Trust, um, the Autodesk Foundation in the US, um, and others.
1: Yes, yeah, so you have an international reach mm-hmm. as well with this, right?
0: Yeah, we, we want people to think about this as a kind of um, a global opportunity. So in terms of even the entrepreneurs we have, we have uh, a half and half mix of Brits and people who are um, not of British nationality. 20% of our cohorts um, had relocated or um, got a visa to come to the UK, which I think is quite exciting, especially during current political kind of uh, climate. I'm sure um, Russ Shaw likes that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so, so that's kind of, um, and then, and then I think the markets we look at are developed markets. So the UK and the US are really attractive, and um, as well as other kind of European markets. So what we're looking for is are people who want to build businesses that are truly global in their vision and their ability to scale.
1: Um, it strikes me as you speak, because I, I, that's sort of my, the land I live in, mostly in big corporates. When you talk about this notion of resilience and that passion, it's, it's so desperately missing in companies. They, they forget to link themselves back to what their purpose is other than feeding the shareholder. Mm-hmm. I talk about discretionary energy. That's a, sort of the zone that I go for, because as you say, typically we have that energy, but it's subdued or sometimes burned out by, mm-hmm. by individuals, but these people have that, that resilience. They also come with another reputation, which is they can also be considered tree huggers. You know, oh, they're just nice people doing, doing things for the world. So how, how do you accompany, like I used to work in, in, in the hairdressing area with a lot of artists, and they may be great hairdressers, but they were not so good managers of people they really didn't give a toss about the p l mm-hmm. What type of support, or do you find that as that characterization offensive or, or mm-hmm. wrong? And what kind of support do you provide at Zinc to help these founders with this great idea and passion to become economically viable and, and let's say, powerful in front of VCs?
0: So, so I think there are two parts, um, two ways to answer. So part one is, the DNA of the people we're after do have that in them. So they're more than just, I'll I'll change the phrase to saying, they're more than just being obsessed about the problems they want to solve, but they actually believe that the way to do that is through commercial kind of modeling of of their solutions. So they want to gain scale and they want to be sustainable and they want to be big. And they think the way to do that is through um, uh, applying commercial thinking. So that's kind of, that's a given. So it's so a criteria it is a that criteria. you go in yeah.
1: and filter out the people the way who we assess. don't really get PLs.
0: Exactly. The way we assess people is they might not have the business acumen to deliver, but they have the kind of appetite for that. So the drive and the appetite. That. So that's part one. Part two is they, most of them would not have the business acumen. So if you're really, if you've been, or they might not. So if you're an amazing producer or an artist, um, and you believe in that kind of you, you agree with that philosophy, but you might not have that skill. Then what we do, we will then um, match you and we'll have enough people who are commercial people, have business acumen. They may have been consultants. They may have worked in startups doing kind of growth or they may have been entrepreneurs who were kind of the commercial people or the biz dev. Um, and they're also Obsessed about the problem, but they don't have actually the business, um, the do, the the domain expertise, or they might not be as creative as the other person. So the idea is that we bring people who have um, that kind of different skills, those different skills together, and we help them find each other and match it. So eventually, in a good team, you'll have someone who really understands the way to solve it in terms of domain expertise, as well as someone who understands how to build a business, and maybe someone who's really good in terms of product and technology. So you want that kind of combination of skills, but everyone that goes through our kind of selection process needs to have that two those two things, which is drive for change and impact and drive for scale and commerciality.
1: Well, I love it. And and something I, I do tend to want to focus on, which is look at those criteria, build them up up front and, and gaining that concordance amongst the people on the board or the, the filtering committee uh, to understand what that looks like, because there are those who say it and then mm-hmm. there are those who do it. And just like having great ideas, the execution oh I really know a PL. I mean, I could sound like I really know what I'm talking about. Hopefully that is the case. Mm-hmm. But do you go through actually mechanisms to try to validate what they say to make sure that yeah, well, you really do know a P and L, so do you know what the top line and bottom line means? And mm-hmm. what, how do you how do you validate those types of statements? Mm.
0: It's it's a really good question. Um I think so we do a few things. First of all, we um, we interview people. So we ask them about their past experience. So you can, uh, if they claim to know something, it should be through kind of experiences. So we'll kind of dig into what they've done and what they've achieved, and how does it provide evidence to what they're suggesting? Um, we take references on people. So whoever gets um, the opportunity to join us, part of the selection process is to get references um, from people they've worked with, and then eventually. Um, you know, they'll when they'll join the program, some they'll have to kind of, um, um, I guess, um, do the, the things they suggest they can do. Um, and so we do we do we do get it wrong at times and people sure. do leave if they can't do that. And also then the value that they are meant to bring, um, they're not going to bring and people will see through that. I think what we also do is we for those who said they have it and they have it, but maybe they need some extra support. We do have those kind of experts and mentors. We do lots of workshops. So we try and strengthen that when that's uh, potentially not um, a strength of someone or they want to improve on that um, and try and match them with people like mentors that have done that before. And they're really excellent at at doing that so they can learn and grow into that. Um, I think I think the um, the hard skill is really important for us. We call it a spike. So that's kind of the the thing they bring to the table if they are a product person or a business person Mm -hmm. or a domain expert. Um, And then in most cases, we'll try to find the evidence in what they've done. Also, because that's the way other founders will look at them. So if you if you claim you're the best kind of, you know, uh, product person, but in in your CV or in your experience, you've never done anything to do with that, then no one will find you attractive on that basis. And if you're if you're quite kind of generic, uh, we think you will not be very attractive. And so as opposed to a corporate where, you know, in leadership positions, you look for someone who's well-rounded. Um, actually, we look for what we call spiky people, mm, so or the
1: t-shaped yeah, deep in one mm-hmm. area, yeah, very cool. so, um, last question, Ella, as you go forward, um are these closed end funds or open? That's to say, if someone comes to you with a new idea for mental health, do you open up to them, or is that sort of set and done and and then moving on, and in which case, how do you who do you want next uh, and and how to sign up
0: so um so it's, it's a complicated question. It's a good question. So a so few answers. We always look for people who are kind of interested in our mission. So a mission starts, but it doesn't end. So even if there is no program currently alive, we're still interested in growing the ecosystem around that. So if you're interested in mental health, in the impact of automation and globalization, um, the quality of later life, and going forward, um, things around kind of the environment and sustainability, then... We're always looking to speak to you. It could be, and as I said, we, we kind of want to mobilize you so we'll find the best way to kind of engage with you, whether it's through our kind of portfolio companies, our future programs, our own kind of um, Zing team, et cetera. So that's kind of part one to your question. Going forward, as we talk about maturing and scaling, we want to be in a position that there's always um, something happening in every single one of our missions. So if we talk about mental health, there might be a current program alive, so you might be able to kind of apply um, and join a program. It may be that the um, academy, which is our kind of education program, if you, if you work in a corporate, as we talked about, and you want to have more impact in mental health, then you can join the academy. Maybe you're doing research in the space, so you can join us as a research fellow. So going forward, we're going to scale it up so there's always activity in all those missions, um, and there'll be kind of a product that fits best what you want to do. Yeah, if you're interested in one of those things, there's always a place for you, and we'll always want to engage with you. Great,
1: and so you can join as a fellow. You apply to join as a fellow or as a coach, Coach, uh, as an entrepreneur with an idea, or yeah, or join
0: yeah, or join the academy, or just become part of our um, network. So we also run events, so people can can also just keep in touch and meet other people. So what we want to do is also grow that kind of idea of these different disciplines or different small, smaller networks coming together. I think one of the best, best bits that someone said to me, the feedback about our one of our latest events, is that they said they walked into the room and they didn't know most of the people, whereas usually they walk into the room, they know everyone. And I think that's the benefit of being part of Zinc. You'll be meeting academics and charity partners and corporates and VCs and entrepreneurs and creatives and tech people. And the chances of you meeting all of them together um, is very, very rare. So I think that's kind of a very unique ecosystem that um, you're always welcome to
1: be I can attest to that, Ella. (laughs) When you talk to the media, what is it that grabs their attention and wants them to really help you?
0: I think what they find interesting is this um, idea of, Not having to be um, thinking either or. So I think, you know, the world is very...
1: As in social or business. Exactly.
0: So I think the world is full of those kind of, um, um, you know, it feels like the world is divided into left or right. And I think people like the idea that it's end, which makes it quite innovative. I think the talent is the best thing. the the level of talent, the people that come and join us. Uh, we have people that were, for example, the a person who used to be the CEO of the Yo Group. Uh, you have, um, um, you know, people who are um, GPs, teachers. You have head of charities, people who actually joined the program to start something. Um, and so I think the level of talent, people relocating from, you know, Gaza, Saudi Arabia. The U.S., um, Singapore, it's just the, that level of, of, of talent and quality that is also really interesting. And I think people are interested in, in supporting that because I think people have made such a big sacrifice in order to build that and, and solve for those kind of problems. So I think that's when they want to get involved and, and support them as well.
1: Excellent. Ella, how can someone follow you, contact you, track down what's going on, join up?
0: So we have a website. It's zinc.vc. Uh, I'm Ella Goldner um, at Ella Goldner um, on kind of social media. Um, You can email us info at zinc.vc. I I think if you want to find us, you'll find us. And we also have a very open house type of um, um, culture. So we have different events like meet and greets. So we run them on a weekly basis and people can come in to the office. We give a little talk. Sometimes we make connections and usually when people come and in, they introduce themselves in the room that already at the beginning of that, you can see the magic because you'll have like a newer scientist and then a, a media person sitting next to an investor sitting next to someone from kind of a researcher. And then you go around and get, OK, that's what it is all about. So you'll get to meet new people.
1: Well, fabulous. Thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you. And good luck with uh, the ongoing Zinc Venture.
0: Thank you. And thank you for having me.